been a great time being together with each of you, praising God and hearing about the things that are taking place in our children's ministry. Well, from the pulpit here, we've been in the middle of a series called That's Our God. And we've been in it for several weeks now. And about two weeks ago, we transitioned to looking at New Testament stories in the Bible to see how our God is at work. Pastor Ralph preached from the story of Nicodemus in John 3 and how Jesus met this man and taught him about salvation. Last week, Kerwin looked at Luke 7, how this prostitute washed Jesus' feet with her hair. And today we're going to find ourselves to be in Mark 5. But a common theme we've seen in every single one of these messages is that our God is actively at work. And we've said the same phrase every week, and we're going to say it again right now, that that is our God. He was, He is, and He will. And that's what we want to communicate that the God we read about in the Old Testament is the same God we read about in the New. And the God we read about in the New is the God that we see in our lives active now and will always be working throughout of et- all of eternity. So we're just delighted to be in this series. I've been having a blast. And I'm eager to open God's Word with you today in Mark chapter 5. But let's pray first as we, before we get into God's Word. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for all that you've taught us. And, oh, Lord, you know the excitement I have about today's message. And, by God, I pray that you would speak through me, oh, Lord. Lord, I lean heavily upon you, just as we all do, not only for our very breath, but even for this moment now, this time now. God, we we believe you for this, and we trust that you would do a work in each of our hearts. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, not long ago, I was watching an episode of National Geographic's on, uh, on cable, or on, uh, it's not called cable anymore, satellite TV or some sort of, and it was called the Deadly Six, the Deadly Six. And they're looking at the six most deadliest kind of bites. And this particular episode, it said one of the most painful, if not the most painful insect bite in all of the world comes from a bullet ant. No bigger than a quarter. A bullet ant. And apparently these ants could bite one of their their enemies that could be hundreds of times bigger than them and give a paralyzing pain to whoever it bites. And of course, like these shows go, the guy put the bullet ant on his hand and says, look what I'm doing. And, you know, the thing jumped off. And apparently he'd been bitten before. And these bullet ants are just have excruciating pain to them. They can paralyze even a human being. And as I get thinking about that illustration, there is a spiritual deadly bite, if you will. And it is far more crippling than even that of a bullet ant. And that deadly bite is called sin. See, all of us were born into sin. From the time we're a child... We do bad things, and we've said it many times, you never teach a child to hit the other child. They just do it. They know how to do it because they're sinful. And that's who we are, and that's what we are to the core. And even as we grow older and we enter into teens or young adults or adults, we see how sin has control in different ways in our lives. Whether or not we are a child of God, our sin nature rears its head in that comment we make when someone upsets us. 
Or that jealous thought we had when we saw what that other person just bought. Or that word of gossip. Or that angry outburst. Or that self-pity. See, our sinful nature shows itself in many ways. But what we see also in the Bible is that sin not only wants to show itself in these little momentary things, but it really can bind our entire lives. We could become, and we are from the day of our birth, slaves to sin. And when we trust in Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to Jesus, you no longer are a slave to sin. Whoever the Son is set free is free indeed. And yet we all know how we fight and we battle against sin every day of our lives. We can all resonate with the crippling effects of sin. And for many of us, it's led us into a place of despair. And maybe you're, maybe you're there today. You feel despair in your life. It took all the courage and strength you had just to get here today to look at people. And my prayer today is that those chains of despair would fall today. That you would see God's sovereign hand in your life. That the chains of depression may fall. And some of you today are so depressed and without hope. That the chains of lust would be broken. That you would not be bound to your lustful desires, but that Christ could be your all-satisfying pleasure and you could love and pursue holiness. That you would not be held captive any longer to your past. Some of you have pasts, and when you think of them, they bring shame and guilt and regret. And that past that many people don't even know about keeps you in bondage. And I pray that today you would be reminded that you're a new creation if you are in Christ. You have a new identity. That's not who you are. The chains of fear would be broken. Some of you today are gripped with fear. You're, You're afraid of failing in your new job. You're afraid of failing as a parent or as a friend. You're afraid of telling the truth because then it's going to get out there. You're afraid of dying. And see, sin has many ways of of captivating us and keeping us in bondage. And that's not God's intention for you and I. And oh, how I've been praying that God would set free people today. If you don't know Jesus, that today you would know him and be set free. Or if you are a child of God and you're reverting back to your old self, that today you would be set free as you lean upon the Lord. What do Nicodemus, the prostitute from Luke 7, and the demon-possessed man we're going to look at today have in common? Well, each one of them had an encounter with Jesus. And the bondage that they were in, in one form or another, they were delivered from it. And today we're going to see the story of a man. A man that many of us would say, that's, that's pretty extreme. And many of us might think, we're unlike him. But I hope that as I bring God's word, you would see yourself in that man. And that we would all see that Christ has come to give us freedom from slavery. So would you turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 5 if you haven't yet. And we're going to open God's word and explore and see what he has for us and instructing us what it means to be free in Jesus Christ, to have hope and be without despair, without depression, without these various things that want to rear, various forms of sin that want to rear its head in our lives. What does it mean to be free? 
Well, let's look at Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And I'm going to stop there because what it does is tell us they came to the other side of the sea. Well, they came from what side? When we look in Mark chapter 4, we see in verses 35 and following that Jesus had been teaching his disciples and teaching others who were following him. And he had been teaching throughout the day and evening came. Verse 35 of chapter 4 says that. It was evening. And he told his disciples, all right, it's time to go from here. Let's get in a boat and cross the sea. It's the Sea of Galilee. So his disciples, obeying what Jesus had requested, got into their boat. This was all part of Jesus' plan. They get into the boat. Remember, it start, they started out, it was evening time. They get out into the Sea of Galilee. We don't know how long they were there, but I can imagine it began, it began to get dark. And then a storm came along. And you may know the story. Jesus is sleeping through the storm. He's there, sound asleep, and the disciples are starting to get a little panicky. They're, they're experienced fishermen, but they know that this storm was a crazy storm. And that their lives were about to get lost and drown at sea. And they began to bail water and panic. And finally they wake up Jesus and say, Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? Jesus gets up, rebukes the storm, and then questions the disciples' faith. And I'm trying to picture the disciples' thoughts. Jesus, you told us to get into this boat, and then this storm came. You knew about that storm, didn't you? Why, why did Jesus give them that storm? Why did he put them through it? Well, we see that it was a lesson on faith. And the disciples didn't do too well, but God delivered them nonetheless. Well, here in chapter 5, verse 1, they finally make it to the other side of the sea and get to the land of the Gerasenes. It's a land of Gentiles. They're non-Jewish people. Later on in the chapter, we see that there are pigs. There's a herd of pigs there. And the Jewish people saw that pigs were unclean, so they would never have had a herd of pigs. This is a Gentile land, non-Jewish people, like most of us in this room. And they get to the shore, and no doubt, it's the middle of the night by this point. They left in the evening. It's dark now. And I bet the disciples were thinking... Wow, I'm glad to set foot on land. I'm glad to be on land right now because I feel a lot safer. And just as they start perhaps getting refreshed by being off the boat in the middle of the night in a dark place in a foreign land but happy to be safe, verse 2 happens. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. That's freaky. There is a man with an unclean spirit, which is language of saying this was a demon-possessed man. And not only was it a demon-possessed man, but he's coming out of the tombs, a.k.a. the graveyard. Not only is this a demon-possessed man coming out of a graveyard, but he's running towards them. And not only is this a demon-possessed man coming out of a graveyard running towards them, but it's night. It's dark. And he falls down before Jesus. Just think what's going on through the disciples' mind. We escaped. We dodged the one bullet. What is this that's happening? Jesus, you told us to come here, you know. What's going on? Verse 3, we get a description of this demon-possessed man from the tombs. It says he lived among the tombs, and no one... Can you say no one? Can you say no one? No one could bind him anymore, 
Not even with a chain. Say, not even. For he had often been bound. Say, often. He had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one, say it, no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. This is a pitiful individual, a miserable person. He lived among the tombs. Why did he want to live there? He was driven to that place. Why? Because no one could bind him anymore. The demonic influence in his life was overpowering. And no one, no one had a solution for his plight. They tried to chain this man up. And I find this ironic. This man is bound by the demons, and now they're trying to bind the bound man with chains around his hands and shackles around his feet. But it said that he wrenched them apart. They often tried to do this, it says. This wasn't something they tried once or twice. They often tried to keep this man under wraps. But it says they had often, they had often, as in they no longer tried to do that. He was now in the tombs. No one had the strength to subdue him, so the only thing to do was keep him away from us. And this is what the man did in verse 5. Night and day, when he was among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. He hated his, his existence. He was captive to the demonic he cried out every day and every night. He began to bruise himself. He began to hurt himself because he could not stand himself. And then this man, verse 6, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. No one could subdue this man, and yet at the sight of Jesus... He's on his knees. Something was taking place here that only the demonic and this man and Jesus knew about. Verse 7, And crying out with a loud voice, what kind of voice? A loud voice. This is what the man said to him. What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adore you by God. Do not torment me. Just picture that. The disciples are already like, what's going on here? And with that loud voice, this man makes a confession about who Jesus was. Son of the Most High God. And yet he asks Jesus, what are you going to do with me? As if this scene wasn't already odd enough as it was. A demon-possessed man coming from the tombs, meeting the disciples and Jesus as they stepped out of the boat immediately as they exited the boat. And it was night, and they were there because Jesus had said so. As, this, as if these things were not odd enough, this man asks Jesus a question, and Jesus engages in conversation with the demon. 
The man says, what are you going to do with us, Jesus? Why did he ask Jesus this question? Well, in verse 8, we see that Jesus had already been talking to him. Jesus said, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And then Jesus asks the demon, what's your name? He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And then the demon says, do not send us out of here, but, but there's a herd of pigs there. Send us to the pigs. And yet Jesus goes ahead and gives permission to the demon's request. I find this to be an odd conversation. First of all, I find it odd that Jesus was asking the demon to come out and it didn't come out immediately. Did Jesus meet his match here with this legion? Did Jesus need to muster a little more faith to get the job done? See, but Jesus is in control this whole time. Remember, they're there because he said to get there when they're on the other side of the sea. What Jesus was about to do was engage in a conversation that made this man's possession, demon possession, evident to not only the man himself, but to the disciples. By Jesus having this conversation, we learn two things about this man. See, if Jesus said, get out, demons, and the demons left, the, the message would not, have been, would not have come across. The first thing we learn is that this man was without any hope. And the second thing we learn is that Satan's plan was to destroy this man. We see that he was without hope by Jesus asking the demon, what's your name? The demon says, my name is Legion, which is a Roman military term for a, a military unit numbering in the thousands. Now, I don't think what the legion's trying to do is give an exact amount of, uh, exact number of how many demons are in this man, but nonetheless we learn there is a multitude of the demonic who are possessing this man. And when he says we are a legion, because we are many, we find that this man had no hope. He had a legion of demons who had overcome him. People couldn't, couldn't subdue him. They couldn't chain him up. He had no way of getting out of his predicament. So first we see this man was without hope. But second we see that this man was in the hand of Satan who wanted to destroy him. See, when the demons told Jesus, can you send us out to the pigs? Jesus wasn't showing the demons mercy by saying, you know what? Yeah, go to the pigs. I'm not going to send you to the abyss quite yet. He wasn't showing the demons mercy. But he, what he was showing was what the demons were trying to do with the man. See, they accomplished their task with the pigs. Let's look at what God's word says here in verse 13. So Jesus gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, number, uh, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. You see, the man was crying out and bruising himself day and night because the enemy wanted him dead. And here the enemy does with the pigs what he wanted to do with the man, and that is to bring him ultimately to his destruction. These are the realities of bondage, brothers and sisters. And in this situation, we see that this is a man in bondage to the demonic. But as I've already said at the beginning, Sin is a greater slave driver. It holds all of humanity in bondage, just like the demons held this man captive. 
And there is no hope, brothers and sisters, apart from Jesus. Verse 14. The herdsmen fled out and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it, what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They had not seen this man sane in a long time. And there he was in his right mind, clothed and tranquil. And they were terrified. I'm trying to think, why were they so terrified? Well, first of all, this is pretty dramatic. Second of all, what is it about that guy that just freed up the person we've been trying to keep down in chains? We can't begin to think what kind of fears they had, but they knew that something was up and they were afraid of Jesus. They were terrified. To the extent that they did the unthinkable in verse 16. And those who had seen it described it to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. I don't know what's happening, but I don't like it. Can you leave our country? They told Jesus. But on the flip side, the man has a different response. As Jesus was getting into the boat, verse 18, the man who had been possessed with the demon begged him that he might be with him. I find this amazing. Four times in this passage is Jesus begged. Four times. And it's the same word in Greek each time. The first two are in verses 10 and 12 when the demons beg Jesus. But then we see in verse 17 the people beg Jesus to leave. And here in verse 18 the man begs Jesus to follow him. And if this story didn't have an, enough odd moments, <clears throat> Jesus tells the man, no. He says, don't follow me. Verse 19, he did not permit him. See, Jesus had a plan for this man. He came across the Sea of Galilee for this very moment, and he had a particular plan for this man who was once demon-possessed. He tells him in verse 19, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And the man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. What a fascinating story this is. And as I mentioned up front, I want all of us to consider this. That you and I at different points of our life, we're not and are not much different than that man. We might think, dude had a legion of demons in him. I've never had that. But as we've said, we were born bound to sin. The Bible says that we were enemies of God, hostile toward him. And we have much more in common with this man than sometimes we think. He was a man without any hope. He couldn't himself deliver himself from his predicament. He could do nothing about his bondage, his slavery, in the same way we could do nothing about sin. We can't free ourselves from sin. We do the things we don't want to do, Paul says in Romans 7. 
We cannot free ourselves from sin because sin is a slave driver. And just like this man was without hope, and just like Satan wanted to destroy him, Satan wants to destroy us. Jesus says in John 10 that the thief comes in to steal, kill, and destroy. 1 Peter 5 says that the devil roams around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And Satan is bent on our destruction. And we have no hope for deliverance until we encounter Jesus. And that's what happened to this man. And if this has not happened to you today, I pray that you would see what Jesus has done to give you life. And if you are a child of God, living as a slave, I pray you would go back and you say, Jesus, I need you. Every hour I need you. Just like the hymn says. Because we all know how sin wants to regain influence in our lives. And God's plan for each one of us is that we would live a life to the fullest. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have life more abundantly. Jesus wants us to live a spirit-filled, God-empowered life. And that's not the life you are living today. There is something that's holding you bound. If you are not bearing fruit and using your gifts to advance the kingdom, something is holding you back and it is not of the Lord. It is of slavery. It is of bondage. So this message is for all of you in this room, for all of us. It's for me. What is it? Because sin wants to captivate us. And so many of us let our thoughts wander into those, those caverns of despair. And we try to resist it. Yet we begin to despair because of our situation or because of what's taking place in our lives. Many of us let depression hold us down and we feel there is no hope. And that is not true. And yet when we're alone, when we're tired, when we're in our bedrooms, when we're in our car, when we're in the basement, sin tries to grab hold of us again. Despair creeps in. Depression creeps in. Lust seeks to take control. And as we walk the paths of life, lust calls out to us from one side and the other. And many of you here today know what that feels like. Some of you today are in your bondage to your lust. And that's not how God wants you to live. I'm reminded of Proverbs 7. Whereas a father is giving instruction to his son to stay away from the adulterous woman. And in Proverbs 7, verse 17, it says, With these kind of words she seduces him. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. See, that's what bondage does. It cries out to us with these kinds of words. And it goes on, For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. And verse 21, this is bondage. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. That's bondage, my brothers and sisters. 
That's the bondage of lust. And if you are in that bondage today, I pray that you will come before the Lord and cry out, you are my only hope. That he will set you free. Some of you are in a bondage to your fears. And God's calling you to trust him. And your trust in God deepens as you know him. And you know him as you pray and as you're in his word. Oh, how I pray God would set us free today, brothers and sisters. And so often we turn to busying ourselves up, to, to indulge ourselves with things, to distract us from our bondage. And sometimes apathy begins to grow in. We become apathetic to our lives, like, eh, whatever, let it be. Apathetic to our spouses, to our children, to our friends, to our very own well-being. That's what bondage does. And that's not what God has for us. And we could run down the list of whatever it is, and you know what it is. And if you don't, ask God if there is something in your life that holds you fast and you're not aware of it. Ask Him to show you and to free you from it. That you might live a life free as that man was, sitting with his right mind clothed. And people saw, this man's free. This man's free. And as a result, he wanted to follow Jesus. And Jesus showed that man his purpose in life. See, sin, what it does, it separates us from God. God is a holy God. And our sin does not allow us to be with perfection because light and darkness have no fellowship together. And that's where Jesus has come in. Jesus took our sin on that cross. He died for us to give us life so we can live life to the fullest in Christ, free from slavery. And if you don't know that freedom today, I pray that it would be yours today. I pray that. Pacific Garden Mission has a long-time airing radio program called Unshackled. And it's a story week in and week out of different men and women of all sorts of ages from all different backgrounds who were once in slavery and through Christ they became unshackled. And I pray that that would be your story today. That today would be your program of being unshackled. That despair would turn into trust in God's sovereign hand. That depression would turn into knowing that you are loved by God. That lust would give way to satisfaction in God. That fear would give way to courage and confidence in our God. That your past would give way to knowing who you are in Christ now. That we would live, my brothers and sisters. Now, we are focusing on children's ministry this month, and perhaps some of you might be thinking, what has this to do with children's ministry? I was talking to Debbie a few days ago about the children's message, and she said, so what, what are you going to be preaching on? Maybe I'll do that. I said, I'm preaching about a demon-possessed man with a legion of demons. She's like, yeah, I don't know if we're going to do that one on this Sunday with the kids. <laughs> what does this story have to do with our children? And I say our children very intentionally. Because our children is not just those of you who have kids, but it's ours as in Good News Bible Church's children. The children of this church are our children. That's why when we have children's dedications here, the congregation makes that covenant as well. These are our children. What has this to do with our children? 
Well, from this message, we see how sin holds people, holds all of us captive. And we must, from the time our children are young, we must intentionally, strategically, purposefully instruct them that we are all dead in sin. Our kids need to know that from the time that they are little. They need to know that sin is enticing, that it calls out to us. Our kids need to know that. Our kids need to know that we have no power to resist it. And in that same breath, we must tell our children that Christ has conquered it. These are our children, Good News Bible Church, that we must teach them stories like this with conviction because you know what? They will hear competing worldviews. They will hear other worldviews. And they will be inferior worldviews. They will be worldviews without power. Worldviews that cannot deliver from sin. And we must teach our children the truth of God's Word. We must teach them theological truths from the time they are young. Charles Spurgeon gives this illustration of people who neglected the truth and said, we want to make people's lives better, but they neglected the truth. Let this not be said of us with our children. We want them to have good lives, but we want it to be on the truth. He says this, when I warned them, these people who neglect the truth, that the enemy has poisoned the children's bread, they answer, dear brother, we are sorry to hear it. And to counteract the evil, we will open the window and give the children fresh air. Yes, open the window and give them fresh air by all means, but at the same time, this you had ought to have done. And not to have left the other undone, arrest the poisoners. And open the windows too. While men go on preaching false doctrine, you may talk as much as you will about deepening their spiritual life, but you will fail in doing it. See, the world will poison the minds of our children. It will do that if we are not strategic and intentional and purposeful to teach them truth. So let it not be said of us that we are simply those who open the windows, being passive in our instruction, but those who, who protect our children from poison and give them the truth. I'm reminded, this is, this is a spiritual battle, brothers and sisters. This, this is a battle. This man had a legion of demons possessing him. We don't know what it took for him to get to this point. But it probably started from one little compromise to another. To the point where this man had a legion. And if we remain passive, sitting along the sidelines, not active in instructing not only our children but one another, there will be casualties in this war. That's why in the church in America so many of our young people grow up and leave the faith. Let it not be said here. Let us fight this battle. Fight our, for our own purity, our own hope, our own joy in the, in the Lord. And then instruct our children accordingly as we lean on Jesus, who alone is our hope. Let us not be passive, but let us be active. So where do we begin? Where, where do we begin? 
Well, I think we should begin where Jesus began with that man. He said, go home. Go home and tell your family, tell your friends what the Lord has done for you. And it begins in your home. If you have a child today, if, you're, if you have children, oh, raise them in the Lord. It is not the responsibility of God's kids to raise your children in the Lord. It is a wonderful and glorious thing to have, but they are discipled in your household. Fathers, read the Bible with your kids. Lead your family in devotions. Pray with your children. Mothers, lead by your example. Teach your children prayer. It doesn't matter how old they are. Jesus tells them, go home. Tell your family. But tell your friends too. Tell them what? Well, he says it. Tell them what the Lord's done for you. And how he's had mercy on you. That's our message. That we have hope in Jesus He's delivered you and I if you are His today. You are not who you used to be. He had compassion on your, on your situation like He had compassion on this man. And go tell people that Jesus died for them and that they could be forgiven and they don't have to live with despair. They don't have to live in bondage, but they can live in freedom. See, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's our God. Jesus is our God. And Jesus is the same. He was, He is, and He will. So as we close today, we're going to invite our prayer counselors to come forward. If you are today, before, before let's not gather our things quite yet. Let's stay focused here. If you are one today, and you are walking in bondage because you've never given your life to Jesus. And there are some I know who, are, who go to church regularly, but this is their situation. Recognize that. And would today be the day where you come to Jesus as this man did on his knees and find the hope there is in him? Would you come forward to pray with someone, one of, one of our prayer counselors? And if you're one today who is a child of God, but you know very well You've been going about as if you were in bondage. Let one of our brothers and sisters pray with you. Say, today is it. Today is my unshackled day. If your one today wants to renew your commitment to going home to your family, to your friends, and declaring what the Lord has done for you, would you come forward to be prayed with? Let's pray first and then we'll close in our final song. Father in heaven, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. Lord, move among us. Lord, you meant for us to live a life of power, a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of freedom in Christ. And Lord, how it grieves me how there are times when I don't live that way. And I know all of us in this room can confess that. And God, today, we commit ourselves to you afresh. We are yours, my Lord. We are yours. In Jesus' name, amen.